0: Remember, remember, the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. That's right, today is the 5th of November, and that means here on Nutshell Politics, we're going to do a special episode about November 5th. I'm your charming host, Justin Kinney. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. Now, this isn't really international relations, so this episode might be in kind of a different vein than a lot of episodes on this podcast, but with November the 5th falling on a typical episode release day on a Monday, I thought it was appropriate to kind of touch on what the gunpowder plot was and why people still remember it today. So, let's dive in. The gunpowder plot took place in England uh, back in the 1600s, the early 1600s, actually it was 1605, and what happened was, very broad overview and then we'll get into more details, there was a, an attack by some revolutionaries who were angry at the, the royal family and angry at the government in England. And so they hatched this plot to kill the king by blowing up the Palace of Westminster. And this whole plot took place on November the 5th of 1605. So November the 5th, sometimes called Guy Fawkes Day or Bonfire Night or Fox Night or Firework Night... All of these things refer to the same event in the UK observed on November the 5th. Now the history here is a little bit um, tricky but it's one that was made very popular. It's been around for a long time. This, this holiday has taken place in the UK pretty much ever since but it really became part of the public consciousness especially here in the United States with the movie V for Vendetta uh, which came out back in the year 2005. Now V for Vendetta was a kind of futuristic dystopian uh, movie set in an alternative future where this kind of neo-fascist regime had taken over the UK and there was an anarchist freedom fighter going by the name V who used the gunpowder treason or the gunpowder plot as kind of his inspiration for an attack on the UK parliament and so this futuristic movie was really kind of a really harkened back to the original gunpowder plot of 1605. And the line that I quoted at the beginning of this, the remember, remember, the 5th of November, became super popular because of this movie. But it's actually been kind of, it's been the first verse of a long poem that's been around for a long time in the UK. Now, the gunpowder plot, as I said, was 1605, so we're talking about 400 years ago. And this is sometimes called uh, the gunpowder treason plot, the Jesuit treason, uh, a lot of other names. But essentially, it was a failed assassination attempt Against the king of England, this would have been King James the First, and it was led by a man by the name of Robert Catsby or Catesby. And so, Robert Catesby was a English Catholic who was not happy with the way that their faith was being treated in England. They thought they were being persecuted, and so they were hoping for better treatment from the new monarch. This would be James the First after the previous monarch, which would have been Elizabeth the First, and so they thought that when things did not improve under James I, they needed to take matters into their own hands. And so this Catholic by the name of Robert Catesby uh, got together with some of his friends, a whole group of them, and they plotted this plan to kill the king, to kill the king's ministers, a lot of different noblemen, uh, by blowing up the palace during the state opening of Parliament. And so what they did is they rented a house nearby and they managed to gather up 36 barrels of gunpowder, which would have been around two and a half tons, And somehow they managed to smuggle that uh, massive amount of explosives into a cellar beneath the palace. And so they had it all set up so that they could, when they triggered it, you know, blow the palace sky high. But ultimately the explosives were discovered uh, with a few hours left to spare because somebody, one of the insiders, tipped off one of their friends to stay away from the palace at this point in time. And that kind of message got passed down. Ultimately, they found the explosives and it was stopped. To this day, the cellars underneath the Houses of Parliament are searched before the annual state opening. It's almost a ceremonial thing at this point, Um, although obviously if they found something, they would do something about it. But it's kind of like a ceremonial searching to celebrate the prevention of this massive assassination. Now, you've probably heard a man by the name of Guy Fawkes. Uh, This is the man who's traditionally associated with the gunpowder treason and plot, but he's almost kind of like a patsy uh in real life he, he was he was a member of this assassination team but he was far from being the ringleader he was actually the trigger man whose role was to go in and set the fuse that would actually blow it and he was given this because he had an expertise in explosives so he is the one who traditionally gets associated with this plot uh because he's the one who got caught red-handed the king's men found him beneath the palace. And he's the one who was brought in for questioning. He was actually tortured for several days in the famous Tower of London, or I should say infamous Tower of London, until he gave up the rest of his team. And so Fox was ultimately executed. Uh, Actually, actually, technically he was not executed. He was on death row and about to be executed. Uh, He was supposed to be hanged, then drawn and quartered. But as he was waiting for his punishment, he was up on the gallows. He chose instead to jump off the platform and he fell to his death, broke his neck. Now, ultimately, he was, even in death, still hanged because that was the traditional punishment in the 1600s. But he actually killed himself before the execution took place. Now, after this event, November 5th was de- was declared a national holiday. And people began burning effigies of Guy Fox and setting off fireworks, which were uh, designated to represent the gunpowder. And most of the co-conspirators with Fox ultimately tried to flee. Uh, a lot of them fled from London once they learned that the plot had been discovered and several of them ended up being killed. Uh, I think eight of the survivors were executed and Catesby was actually shot and killed in kind of a, a standoff with police. But ultimately this became a pretty big political deal in the country uh, because the thwarting of the Gunpowder plot was ultimately celebrated for many many years afterwards with special sermons uh, other big public events they you know they rang church bells they uh, turned they, they set big bonfires and actually has kind of evolved into what's called uh, bonfire night now and so bonfire night today is a kind of major uh, english state commemoration but it was—it's often seen as being kind of a focus of very anti-Catholic sentiment. It was carries very strong Protestant religious overtones, and so especially in these early years of the celebration, a lot of the Puritans in this area, their sermons around Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night, were often about the dangers of the Pope and. This led to the burning of effigies, which would have included the Pope at at the time, but also, especially, Guy Fawkes became kind of the focus of this event. Now, in the 1850s or so, there was a lot of attitudes that kind of changed, and the anti-Catholic rhetoric that was out there for the first 250 years or so of this really became toned down, became much more of like a, a bonfire night with fireworks, and the violence and the riots that kind of built up around this really became obsolete and it really becomes much more like a a social commemoration nowadays. This leads to some questions about why the religious element became such a big deal around Guy Fawkes and uh, Robert Catesby and this whole gunpowder plot. Why was it so religious in nature? And this gets into some of the history of the religion of England at this time. In the early to mid 1500s when Henry Eighth, King Henry VIII, the famous Henry VIII, took control of the English church from Rome. This kicked off many, many decades of religious tension across all of England, across the whole UK, because there were uh, a lot of English Catholics who were in the society, but they were kind of the minority in a regime, a ruling leader that was increasingly Protestant, and especially newly separate, too. They had split from, from Rome... And so this divide or this chasm between the Catholics and the Protestants really continued to grow throughout the 1500s. And King Henry VIII's daughter, Elizabeth I, responds to this by introducing what's called the Elizabethan Religious Settlement, which basically says that anybody who's appointed to any sort of church office or public office has to swear allegiance to the monarch, to the king or queen, as being the head of both church and state. And the fines and and penalties for this were very severe, if you did it once, you massive fines, multiple times you actually could be imprisoned and even executed. And so Catholicism across England became very, very marginalized, and this chasm continued to grow between the Protestants and the Catholics. Now, a lot of Catholics did still continue to practice their faith, a lot more in secret though, and as the line of succession was passed down from Queen Elizabeth to James, who I mentioned was the, the king during the gunpowder plot it's thought that things were gonna really tone back down because his attitude towards Catholics was seen as much more moderate, uh, even to the point of being potentially tolerant of of Catholics. But a lot of these beliefs about what would potentially happen ultimately kind of became not. uh, There really weren't any signs once he took power that he was going to move to end any sort of persecution of the catholics and so a lot of members of actually members of the clergy decided they need to start taking matters into their own hands on this and so we started to see multiple plots against james against the royal family take place and so the, there's actually quite a few people maybe even some well-known ones in here there was something called the Buy plot actually led by two priests william watson and william clark their goal was to actually kidnap james uh, and hold him until he agreed to become more tolerant. Then there was a Sir Walter Raleigh. You may have actually heard of him. His, his name is where we get Raleigh, North Carolina from. He led a group that was called the Main Plot, which involved removing James and putting in a, a new leader, uh, Arbella Stewart. And there were other plots along these same times as well, including several that reached out to foreign leaders, a couple that reached out to uh, King Henry the Fourth of France for funding, but ultimately were unsuccessful. And the By Plot in particular, the first one I mentioned, was revealed to the royal family by other catholics and so that actually ended up buying them some very instrumental relief when james was looking to punish people uh, i actually saved them from further persecution and he actually pardoned a lot of people who were involved in kind of some of these these plots and so that did tone things down for a little bit but it didn't really stop the plots from from building behind the scenes early 1604 James actually openly denounced the Catholic Church. And the reason he did this is a little bit up in the air, but it's thought that the trigger was somebody had sent a rosary from the Pope to his wife, Queen Anne. And he got very upset by that because, again, he's supposed to be the the leader of the Church of England, which was a Protestant church. And about a month after this Rosary was sent and he denounced this to the Catholic Church, he gives another speech to English Parliament in which he, discusses the idea of peace through the profession of the true religion. And it's, it's really understood at this time that this is language designed to really keep the Catholics down. It was actually it was very clear that they were not supposed to inc- increase in number, that they might not be welcome in the in England anymore. And by April of that year, so about two months after he denounces the Catholic Church, there is a bill that comes before Parliament which threatens to outlaw all English followers of Catholicism. And so this is all kind of where we lead into this gunpowder plot. And so the original prin- or principal aim of the plot is to kill King James. But they decide that if they can do this during the state opening, there would be a lot of other big important targets there as well, including a lot of the, the relatives of James, but also members of their council, some of the judges in the English legal system, a lot of the aristocracy bishops of the Church of England, Uh, other members in the house of commons and they actually had a kind of a secondary role here where they were going to try to kidnap the king's daughter and so robert catesby again i mentioned this is the guy he's the inspiration behind the plot he becomes kind of the ringleader of this Uh, he actually took part in some in a rebellion during 1601 but he was fined and released by queen elizabeth and so he becomes the leader of this new gunpowder plot now he starts to recruit people Uh, There's quite a few different names here that crop up, but the main one being Guy Fawkes. A couple of the others, just throw it out there: uh, Thomas Winter, John Wright, Thomas Bates, Christopher Wright, Ambrose Rookwood. uh, But there were a lot of different names in this. But ultimately, they come up with this plan to smuggle explosives underneath the Parliament. And so they, again, they get about two and a half tons of explosives, which would have been plenty to to blow up the building. And they set it below and Guy Fox becomes the man who is set to guard the explosives and to trigger it at the right time. So he goes down below and he's kind of hiding out guarding the explosives. Now ultimately this is found out because one of the members of the House of Lords was a man by the name of Lord Monteagle or William Parker, the fourth Baron of Monteagle. And so he receives a letter, anonymous letter, presumably from a fellow Catholic. So He is actually a Catholic he receives this anonymous letter basically warning him to find a way to stay out of the House of Parliament on this day. And the letter basically says something to the effect of, you know, I would advise you to devise some excuse to to shift your attendance because God has decided to punish the wickedness of the time. And so he doesn't really know what this means. And so he promptly hands this off to some other people and eventually it kind of works its way up the chain and ultimately the king is shown the letter on November the 1st and they interpret this letter to mean that there's going to be some sort of explosion and they really hit on the there's a word in it that just says there's going to be a huge blow to parliament and they assume that means there's going to be some sort of explosion some sort of gunpowder something or other and so the king and the royal family is alerted to this and over the next couple days they start searching different houses in the area, and ultimately they end up finding Guy Fox dressed in his famous cloak and hat, boots, the whole getup that you'll sometimes see people dress as, and he is arrested, and ultimately they search even further and find the barrels of gunpowder. And so he's unable to carry out his role in the plot, which would have been to light the explosives and then flee on kind of a predetermined route across the Thames River. Now, as news of his arrest begins to spread, the other plotters in this uh, conspiracy start to flee as well. Uh, multiple start to to leave London. Some of them end up getting caught. Others do manage to escape. A couple of them are, are shot in the process. As I mentioned, Catesby is shot and killed Uh, in kind of a shootout with the authorities at the time. But as all of this is happening, Guy Fawkes, who at this point, he's going by the name of John Johnson, I believe. This is an alias he's using to fool the authorities. But they take him to the Tower of London, where they decide to torture him. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Tower of London, this is a castle that's located on the bank of the River Thames. And it is well known for being a place of shall we say bloodshed it's frequently where people were held prisoner for long long periods of time and there were at least seven people that we know of that were executed here including by the way anne boleyn who was one of the wives of king henry VIII, and she was beheaded in the 1500s for treason now over time the legend of the tower of london has probably grown beyond what it actually was in a lot of popular fiction it's you know depicted as having like a torture chamber and a lot of other different types of just brutal history that's probably not as true as it is. But we do know quite a few people were executed in the tower and then there's quite a few more who were executed on like the the hill just to the north of the castle as well. So there's a lot of history of bloodshed associated with this particular tower and over the years that has spawned a lot of myths around ghosts that they believe haunt it, including uh, Lady Jane Grey, many princes, And so this is the place that John Johnson, or Guy Fawkes, is taken. Now, the use of torture at the time was actually forbidden, uh, except by some sort of royal decree. But it's quite thought that he probably was tortured anyway, uh, especially, probably, most likely, I should say, on the rack. Which, if you're not familiar with, is a pretty horrific torture instrument that's designed to, like, stretch the body and break joints and that sort of thing. And it's ultimately under this torture that he is broken. He confesses on November the 7th, uh, a couple different times actually, and he basically gives up his co-conspirators. Now the fact that he managed to survive this without telling anything for two days does allow some of his uh, co-conspirators to escape, but a lot of them do end up getting caught and arrested as well. Uh, Thomas Winter was shot, John Reitgen ends up getting shot, Catesby, Percy were also killed. And this entire plot goes down in history in England as being a major uh, success story by the government. And so it ends up being celebrated throughout the years. Today, it's be- kind of become what's called Bonfire Night or Guy Fawkes Night or Firework Night. And this is an annual commemoration. takes place primarily in the UK, although you do see elements of it uh, in other places in the world. And it includes all kinds of things, song and dance. Uh, a lot of times they'll sing that poem that I said the little ditty of don't you know remember remember the 5th of november uh so you'll see that played out a fair amount as well and probably of biggest note there are massive bonfires that get set all across the uk fireworks set and it's kind of a, a chance for them to not, not only do things like sip hot chocolate uh, eat hot dogs but to kind of celebrate this failed assassination attempt or the stymieing of this assassination and you'll frequently see these Guy Fawkes masks pop up as well it's what was used in the V for Vendetta movie it made him very very popular for things like Halloween but it's basically been his face which is kind of a very distinctive with a huge mustache has been adopted into a mask frequently used by anti-capitalists around the world and sometimes you'll see it used in some of these celebrations sometimes it's just a Halloween costume but it has this kind of connotation of being a very anti-capitalist and it's used by a lot of these kind of rebel groups now as well but over time some sort of a strange thing has happened here where Guy Fawkes, despite being essentially a treasonous traitor who tried to blow up and kill dozens and dozens of people, still has kind of a, a mythical element to him where you'll see him frequently talked about almost like a martyr. In fact, there was a poll conducted by the BBC back in the early 2000s that named Guy Fawkes as the thirtieth greatest Britain ever. And this was actually before the V for Vendetta movie came out, which popularized him again. And so there is still this little bit of a a hero or martyrdom element to him, but still traditionally he is kind of used almost like a punchline in some of these these bonfire acts. They sometimes will make straw effigies, call them, you know, guys and throw them on the bonfire. And actually, originally the the term guy itself Well, today, it's just used very generally to refer to a man. For a long time, that that word was actually used in a very derogatory sense. They would use the word guy to reference somebody who they thought was very ugly or repulsive, and it all comes from this Guy Fawkes uh, individual. But to this day, the gunpowder plot and Guy Fawkes is a really difficult subject to discuss and tackle Uh, in the UK in particular, but also kind of worldwide, because it has a lot of religious connotations and religious divides. And there's this element of terrorism or terrorist violence against the state that really lies at the core of what this was. I mean, it's seen as a Catholic plot against Protestants. And so it spurred a lot of uh, anti-Catholicism, back especially when in the early years but even to this day you sometimes see a little bit of it here and there but it also has turned this idea of a terrorist who is going to kill a lot of people many of whom may have been innocent to make a political point which is today seen as is horrific but also has this a little bit of element of honor almost or virtue to it kind of in the same sense as Michael Collins does in Ireland. If you're familiar with that story at all, Michael Collins was a famous terrorist with the IRA in Ireland, but to this day he is still seen as somewhat of a hero in certain circles because of his fought, his fight for nationalism in Ireland. So Guy Fox and Robert Catesby and some of these others have a very similar, although less so, mysticism around them as being someone who fought against the tyranny of the... The ruler but also fought for uh, catholic rights and some religious elements that do carry through until today and partly because the uk was so prolific at spreading to other communities around the world with colonies and that sort of thing we've seen this gunpowder treason day the celebration exported to many other countries. And we see it somewhere in Australia. We see it in New Zealand, Canada, a lot of the Caribbean islands, pretty much anywhere where you would consider it the part of the British Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Nations. So we still see it marked in in many of these other countries, although to a much, much lesser extent than you ever see it in the UK. But we have seen it on and off throughout the years around the world. There's actually been a few elements of it here in the United States as well. Uh, obviously, we were a colony originally of the, of the UK, and so we did have some of that tradition carry through. But we really haven't seen much of it since the late 1800s. In 1880s, there were some bonfires lit kind of across the New England coastal towns, although it was kind of at the t- at that time really no longer about the gunpowder plot but they were burning effigies of other prominent figures uh, we do know there were some prime ministers who were used as an effigy the american the famous american general who was considered a traitor during the revolutionary war benedict arnold he frequently was burned in effigy in some of these celebrations as well so we do see a few of those elements carry over although you don't really see the celebration of guy fox and gunpowder day or any of this stuff specifically outside the uk at least not very often But if you're listening to this podcast on November 5th, you may see stories out there about things taking place across the UK. Guy Fawkes Day is celebrated across Great Britain every year on November 5th with huge bonfires, fireworks, burning effigies, ultimately celebrating as kind of a day of public Thanksgiving. You know, in a sense of giving thanks for his his failure to blow up Parliament and his failure to take down the British rule and the British government. And so if you're watching the news today or this week, hopefully you know a little bit more about why these bonfires are taking place and what their real purpose is and kind of the history behind it. But with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Nutshell Politics. As always, find me on Twitter. My username is R underscore Kenny. Please follow me there. We can continue the conversation. You can find me on Facebook as well. I have a Facebook page that's J. Robert Kenny. That's the name I write fiction novels under. You can find my book Precipice on Amazon. And my new book, Splintered State, which will be coming out sometime later this fall. It should be pretty soon, actually. I'll let you guys know when that takes place. If you're interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast in any way, shape, or form, please hit that subscribe button, tell your friends, spread the word about this. I'd love to continue to build this podcast into a a show where I can really take it to new heights. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast in other ways or advertising on the podcast, please contact me directly. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. Or you can find my Patreon account online as well. But with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And until next time, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kenny, and I am out in three, two, one.